We are on verse 14 of the 8th chapter. And thus far, we've tuned in interestingly a lot into the moment of death. And that subject isn't fully over yet. But Krishna essentially talking about how that moment of death can be used as um, almost a shortcut to a certain degree. Because not all of us necessarily will experience samadhi in the conventional sense you know we sat down to meditate and in that one go complete merging into the divine and so krishna uses especially for those of us who are sincerely going to for the entirety of our lives pursue krishna pursue that infinite consciousness pursue bliss kind of without fail every day of our lives we are going that has been set very clearly as our goal we will digress we will get diverted lots of things will kind of draw our attention here and there but we hold that goal strongly before us and therefore Krishna builds this whole consciousness and the concept of daily commune with me daily connect with me daily be with me it's a training that he wants us to build so that Rather than saying, oh, I've not gotten Samadhi yet. And because it can be, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a sore point for everybody. I remember when I came onto the spiritual path, there was this naive idea that, yeah, you know, six months to a year. <laughs> I think, you know, if the, especially once you've read the Kriya Yoga chapter, you've read the autobiography, you're seeing all these random people just going into these states of ecstatic bliss. So, okay, this seems like this is doable. And then once you really step onto the path, you realize that what you're working with, which is our own selves, our own consciousness, our own past, it's heavy. You know, it's a big mountain of yuckiness, <laughs> for a lack of a more technical term. That would just, you know, just working with good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. It's just there. And so samadhi may or may not, because samadhi requires um, a lot. It requires a lot and if it doesn't come to us in the experience of that perfect meditation what Krishna is trying to say also to us is don't wait for that one meditation don't place all your hopes on that one final blaze of glory is but every day do a little do a little do a little stay with me stay with me stay with me so that at the end of our lives in that moment when the soul is leaving the body having trained itself to be with Krishna as often as it could, that could be the route to freedom. And in fact, often is the route to freedom for a lot of souls. And then when they return, we read their lives and we're seeing them going into Samadhi really easily. It's mostly because they've actually learned that exit first in a previous incarnation at the time of death. That's what our Guru also said. At the time of death, to many people he said, God will come to you. Because they built that whole process throughout. So then of course he continues to reiterate, O Partha, this is 14th, I am reached easily by that yogi of single heart. Now that's an important thing, isn't it? Where the heart's feelings are focused and uplifted. I think we read this last time. Doesn't matter. Who daily and continuously keeps me in his consciousness and is wholly focused on me. So, he's kind of giving us this route as an option of that final union. Just 
stay with me keep your heart of single desire this is and we we'll, he'll come back to it again towards the very end of this chapter this singular heart and of course just as often that you can continuously is you know coming back to it again and again doesn't necessarily only mean unbroken but this continuous effort where it's not like oh i didn't do it today okay chalta hai you know it's like oh i didn't do it boom come back oh it slipped come back and of course daily those great souls who love me that's another very important part and out of love for me merge into my spirit achieve the highest success now that's another thing um recently i think we spoke about this but we did a discipleship ceremony and every time we do a discipleship ceremony in you reading the discipleship vow that swami kriyananda wrote there's just this passage in there which says oh you know ah mother divine mother for too long have i sought you for myself but not for your love and again as a devotee when we first come on to the path there's there's a lot of things we want we want samadhi we want to experience this we want the siddhis we want to you know know everything we want the highest wisdom we want to achieve great success we want to have clarity of thought i mean there's there's a lot of layers as to why we seek god but little by little by little by little by little we condense that or essentially we purify that aspiration purely out of love and that's what discipleship Uh, kind of is it's like now i come to you only out of love and in that it says you know or in that as a disciple we finally say i even practice the techniques that my guru has given just because he's given them to me because i love him so much not i do kriya because i'm burning all my karmas and i do the om technique because i want to merge into om yes i mean that will always remain but it's like i do this every day because i love my guru and he has asked me to do this just as a child with a parent not i don't understand everything that my parent has said because because i love them so much i do as they say they need never return again to this ephemeral grief stricken world those living in every world <laughs> i like this again those living in every world here krishna kind of just slips it in there that this is not the only world we are in there are multiple worlds multiple universes multiple realities coexisting and a lot of it depends and we'll talk about this perhaps at some other time on you know the yugas that are playing and he will allude to the yugas here uh depends on your own consciousness depends on as we talked about previously the vibration of how the caste system developed and the vibrations that we hold and depending on the resonance of that we will be born not just on earth yogananda said oh this is just one of many worlds that we will be called on to but he talked about the earth as being a rajasic planet <laughs> in a rajasic galaxy and he says so those in the in time who through rajas in this period which is the use of life force and energy um will find god they are drawn for that time period to earth those living in every world from the highest to the lowest are subject to rebirth only on entering into my consciousness do they gain release so this of course is very well known we're not here i mean sooner or later even good karma no matter how much of it you pile up 
only continues to draw, as he says, the highest to the lowest. When he says highest and lowest, he's obviously not talking about the richest or the kings or the whoever. Means he who has the absolute highest karma to he who has the lowest karma. No matter what you have, you're going to be drawn again and again to this world. And the only release is entering into my consciousness. And that's why meditation is a, a very real practice that must be done. Entering into my consciousness. Every day we sit to meditate, there is the at least the intention, if nothing else, I want to enter into God's consciousness. I want to enter into my Guru's consciousness, into Krishna's consciousness. And to enter daily is another thing that we need to make sure we do. Not just think of him, not just offer ourselves, but really enter into him as often as we can. They truly know day and night who comprehend the day of Brahma, which endures for a thousand Mahayogas, and the night of Brahma, which endures for another thousand Mahayogas. Here Krishna talks about, of course, the Yogas. He says, they truly know day and night who comprehend the day of Brahma. They truly understand day and night. He's alluding also to just duality. They know how this duality works if they're able to comprehend these much larger circles of duality that are at play. And a day of Brahma and a night of Brahma is a day of manifestation and dissolution back into an unmanifested state. And this is happening on you know, these billion year cycles that are going around us. He talks about the Maha Yugas here. And you were vaguely aware of the Yugas as Kalyug, Dwapar, Treta and Satya. And of course, there's a general understanding in, amongst the majority of the traditional kind of um, understanding of Hinduism is that we are in Kalyug and at some point we'll kind of flip over into Satyug and all will be good and all will be well. I don't want to go into the yogas too much because again, coincidentally or as it has woven together perfectly, the chapter that we are studying in the autobiography of a yogi called Outwitting the Stars, where in fact in the very next class we'll be reading about Sri Yukteswar's explanation about the yogas, which is just beautiful. But all that to say, and as Krishna uh, alludes here, these are cycles of time. So a cycle is, there's a ascending arc, there's a descending arc. And so therefore you go from Kalyug into Dwapar, into Treta, into Satyug in an ascending arc, and then you return back from Satya into Treta, into Dwapar, into Kalyug. And that's how these cycles flow. Half a cycle is 12,000 years, an entire cycle is 24,000 years. So one yoga cycle in its entirety is 12,000 years. A Maha Yuga becomes how you would, you know, in the Indian scriptures, you've got human years, Deva years, and then Brahma years. And so if you get the Deva years involved, you become into the Maha Yugas, which are, just to very briefly say, the Yugas are flow with where our solar system is. The sun is the focal point here. And everything in the universe has a dual. So the sun has a dual, which astronomy has not yet found. Yet it suspects that there is something that uh, also directs the movements of the sun. But as Sri Yukteswar said, the sun and its dual are constantly revolving around each other. And depending on how far they are from the galactic center, 
depends on whether we are on a higher yuga or a lower yuga. And so this cycle continues. Similarly to the sun and the solar system, the galaxies also have a duel and they too are playing the same dance and so on and so forth. So you've got cycles within cycles within cycles. The current cycle that's most uh, relatable to us, the smaller 24,000 cycle, says, as Sri Yukteswar did, that we are in Dwapar Yuga now, uh, kind of newly into this, and it's, a, it's an age we can clearly see something's different from perhaps even the last 50 to 100 years of mankind's history. But again, as I said, we'll go more into that, the details of it in the autobiography class. So you've got these cycles running through the 24,000 year cycle, then there's a Mahayuga, and then so Krishna is essentially talking about these cycles of very, very long periods of time. So a day of Brahma here alludes to essentially billions of years. So what he's saying is even creation follows the same, you know, remember we talked about how all duality follows this wave, which is the Om vibration. So you've got creation, you've got dissolution, you've got creation. Can you imagine this is just going on and on and on and on? And so you're talking about billions of years of creation and billions of years of unmanifested state where creation dissolves back into spirit. And then once again, it starts off. For Brahma, this is just a day and a night. And Brahma, of course, is the creator. So therefore, it's attributed to him. At the dawn of Brahma's day, now this is the scary part. All creation remanifested emerges from its night state of unmanifestation. At the dusk of approaching Brahma's night, all creation sinks back into its previous unmanifested state. So it's all right. Day, night, day, night. That's why Krishna says, he who really knows day and night knows the day of Brahma and the night of Brahma. We think, okay, day, night, day, night. This is like such a, you know, tiring process. Imagine these billions of years of manifestation, unmanifestation, manifestation, unmanifestation. Again and again, O son of Pritha, Arjuna, the same people throng back to earth to be reborn. The cycle of reincarnation ends for them only temporarily with the descent of Brahma's night. It resumes again with the dawn of Brahma's day. So this is the little bit of kind of <laughs> discouraging news here because you'd say, oh yeah, maybe I'll just wait it out. I'll just wait through the entire day of Brahma and hopefully at the night of Brahma, it's like, ah, oh, it's over. But then Krishna says, no, for those souls who are still trapped in delusion as the day ends and the night begins, once again as the day begins, are thrown back out. What Krishna is trying to say here is, you can't just wait your karma out. You can't just wait delusion out. The only way to get out is to willingly, through self-effort, get out of creation. So he's saying, otherwise, this is it. He says, all souls again and again throng back to earth to be reborn, for the reincarnation ends only temporarily with the descent of Brahma's night. Beyond the unmanifested state, known as the night of Brahma, there is the absolute unmanifested. And this is Brahman, pure spirit, forever immutable, which remains eternally untouched by the recurring cycles of creation. So 
this process of Brahma, of night and day, is not returning us back into that un absolute unmanifested state. It is, the way Shri, uh, Swami Kriyananda says, it's like a seed during, say, winter, where it kind of just withdraws back into itself and holds its life force until once again when spring comes, when Makkar Sakranti begins to throw its shoots. It's like hibernation almost. It hasn't, the karma has not ended, everything about our astral and causal bodies have not fully dissolved. It's just creation itself has withdrawn. I mean, so for us it seems like crazy, doesn't it? It's just like, wow, it's madness. How long is this going to go on for? And from God's perspective, you're just like, oh, it's nighttime, tell us one. <laughs> and he's just gone to sleep and then he wakes up in the morning and boom, back out. And then you, I mean, like kind of thinking from that anthropomorph anthropomorphic from the perspective that God being a human being you know kind of just having that day having his night coming up and waking up again having that day having that night and for us billions and billions and billions of incarnations and still it continues so Krishna is really trying to bring our attention to the fact that you've got to escape this you're not just going to slide your way through it the aforesaid absolute unmanifested, forever immutable, is what sages speak of as Supreme Spirit. Those only who attain it by self-effort gain eternal freedom from obligatory rebirth. So this is where he kind of drops the bomb. He says, that's how it's going to be. Only through self-effort will you gain freedom from compulsively kind of being forced into this birth-rebirth cycle. So it's just going to go on because creation, manifestation, being a part of God, being a part of this creation is just kind of, we're tied to it. If I, <laughs> if I, Brahma's kind of day is ending and night is beginning and I still have all these desires that I have left to be fulfilled, well, it doesn't mean like it just disappears. That energy stays and therefore, as Yogananda said, every day and night of Brahma is unique. It's not like same people are just going out and same people. It's not like the same show is being played every day. The same movie is not being screened. Everyone is unique. New souls or the new desires are being manifested throughout. And individuals, very, very, very few are escaping <laughs> this cycle. Single-hearted devotion, O Arjuna, is what lifts one to that supremely unmanifested state. Only the ever-conscious, omnipresent, omnipresent spirit is the repository of all things and all beings. Single-hearted devotion. We come back to that singular of heart. Now, single-hearted devotion is our escape. Why? It is in our desires which is kind of a lower form of devotion we're devoted to sex we're devoted to money we're devoted to fame we're devoted to you know eating that which we like it's a devotion it's where our energy and our love and our desire goes single-hearted devotion means you first have to neutralize duality in the heart and until we don't get to the singularity in our heart, we won't get to singularity of consciousness. And that becomes the journey of the yogi. 
little by little by little, not by negating, not by pushing away. I want to get into this desire, I won't get into desire. Often it goes through fulfillment of desire, but it has to all be let go. Little by little by little by little by little by little until all that remains is Krishna, God, Guru. And then and only then, as Krishna says, single-hearted devotion over Arjuna is what lifts one to that supremely unmanifested state. As the only way we're going to get, as long as duality exists in your heart, we continue this process. And that is why he's giving us this out at the time of death. If you can be single-hearted, singular of devotion in that moment, I can get you out. He's almost like kind of saying, I could help you, but Mirko, you have to give me that moment. You have to give me that time. I know you're not able to do it all the time, but if you can build to it, that's another time I can lift you instantly into me. So it's a, it's a very serious thing that we should be consciously, in fact, in many ways, it's so much more achievable than kind of aiming for samadhi, samadhi in my meditation. Maybe that'll come, maybe that won't. I certainly don't want to kind of club you in with me in this moment. But I feel this is so much more okay. I have a very clear goal at the time of my death, which I don't know, which means I really need to be prepared all the time. I'm going to try my best throughout that time until that moment comes as often as I can to be with Krishna, as often as I can to enter into his consciousness, as often as I can to offer myself to him. And that's a much more realistic, dynamic daily activity that we can do. Because he's not saying, if you're not meditating 24 hours or even 20 hours or even 10 hours or even 5 hours, I mean, whatever. He's not saying none of that. He's just saying, you can do this all the time. You can do it daily. You can do it continuously. As long as you try to stay, try even to stay with me. I will now declare to you, O best of the Bharatas, Arjuna, the two paths, this is where it becomes a little fairly esoteric, the two paths open to departing souls. The one, the way of the yogi, which leads to eternal freedom, and the other, the way to rebirth. So let's see what these two paths, paths are. <clears throat> this is 24 verse. Fire, light, daytime, the bright half of the lunar month, the six months of the northern course of the sun, pursuing this path at the time of death, the knowers of Brahman go to Brahman. Now, you want me to reread re that? Fire, light, daytime, the bright half of the lunar month, the six months of the northern course of the sun, Pursuing this path at the time of death, the nose of Brahman go to Brahman. Now, on surface, it looks like he's kind of giving us a specific time period of the year. He's giving us a time period of the month, which is the bright half of the lunar month. So this is when the moon is waxing. He's talking about the six months of the northern course of the sun. Now, this is where I said Makkar Sakranti comes in because that's what it represents. It represents the beginning of the northern course of the sun. This is the Uttarayan, where the sun begins to ascend higher. And then, of course, you have the Dakshinayan, 
which is the next six months where the sun then so you've got this is the end of winter spring has begun and it's interesting that makar sakranti and in some places called lodi just a night before is celebrated with fire isn't it so let's see what krishna means is he talking about we've got to die in these next six months in like the you know waxing part of the lunar month or we won't make it i mean it's just like we have to time our death into this period because we know a lot of the saints i mean uh you know sure yogananda left his body in march but then you've got lahiri masha who left his body in september you've got all the saints scattered all over the place they're not waiting and timing their all oh, let's all you know make sure we exit our body in the first half of the year because that's the only time freedom will come to us so of course he's talking about a state of consciousness because he says pursuing this path it's a state of consciousness but it's also an actual inner reality we talked about this on sunday when we talked a little bit about the inner astrology we talked about how you know you've got the first half of the of the year and then you've got the second half of the year and it represents the ida and the pingala this revolution around the spiritual sun so you've got the sun here you've got the moon here so you're really working with these two realities the moon represents the ego because it is the reflection of god's light it is not god's light itself but it depends on god's light for its own existence otherwise without god's light reflecting on it we would not see the moon and that's what happens on a no moon day right it's not like the moon's gone oh, on that day the moon's gone it's just disappeared it's gone back into the unmanifest state no it's just on that day the moon's receiving none of the sun's light it's not reflecting any divine light so let's look at this fire this is yogananda's kind of esoteric inner spiritual representation of these words fire represents some several things firstly it represents our life force the energy within ourselves it also represents purification which says this life force is um has been worked on through practices through sadhanas through tapasya so we've been purified and then he says it really what it really truly represents is the kundalini shakti which is that inner fire that is the yagya into which we offer all our you know things in that outward ritual light yogananda said so first and foremost you have to lift up your inner fire purify it and begin to move it upward towards the light now the light yogananda said specifically represents in this case the light of the spiritual eye when in meditation you see the spiritual eye you'll see it exactly as it is represented here not in the particular form but a golden field that in uh, surrounds an inner blue dark blue field and at the center is the five pointed uh, silver star which is essentially the cross section of the inner astral spine you've got the shushumna vajra chitra into eventually the brahmanadi and that's seen in meditation you'll see sometimes it very vaguely but in order to get into the path of freedom essentially as our guru said and as krishna is saying here you have to see the light of the spiritual eye so you've got fire the kundalini you've got the light of the spiritual eye you've got daytime yogananda said daytime represents being awake in super consciousness so you have to awaken 
our consciousness so that it's no longer in a sleep into that inner fire into that light the bright half of the lunar month yogananda as i was saying talked about the moon as representing the ego in this particular case it is a waxing ego which means the ego itself has to become completely self aware of the fact that it depends solely on the sun so you've got the moon you've got the sun you see how shiva is always represented with the sun right uh, with his moon up on his sahasrara is because he's taken any limited egoic identity and he has merged it into cosmic consciousness and that's what we have to do our own individual self which is the moon has to wax completely into representing and reflecting wholly the divine light of the sun so the ego here is you know sometimes we think about the ego being quashed but this is about the ego becoming completely self aware of who it truly is so that's the what's the word the bright half of the lunar month and then finally the six months of the northern coast as i said this is when the sun begins to ascend this is the first this upward flow and the six months yogananda said represents the six lower chakras until we get to the sixth chakra here it's not about the sahasrara because the sahasrara lives beyond creation so we have to get all our energy up to the point between the eyebrows into this light from that inner fire from the kundalini through the six spinal centers and awaken ourselves pursuing this path yogananda uh, krishna says at the time of death the nose of brahman go to brahma so that's the process that's the true preparation that we're doing and that's why again we come back to the practice <coughs> of meditation again and again again and again again and again you've got to get this process going you've got to get that inner fire moving upward you've got to daily attempt at least to see that inner spiritual light and of course you have to pass that energy through all these six centers and that's what makkar sakranti kind of inwardly is that encouragement now the energy so we've essentially entered that phase where we're back into the flow of the upward energy and then we go into the flow of the energy flowing back downward which is the second half of the year and even in makkar sakranti the the entire thing is about flying kites and it's all about this upward you know you light the fire you fly your kites and it's it's really this upward kind of yearning towards higher realities and that's what we're kind it's nice that we're aligning into that and we can see makkar sakranti as the all right let's do this let's use these next 6 months as much as we can to embrace to infinity because the following 6 months will be a much more interiorizing flow of energy and this is where we go to verse 25 so this is for the one path towards freedom and now krishna gives the path towards rebirth which is smoke night time the dark half of the lunar month and the six months of the southern course of the sun following this path at the time of death one attains only the lunar light and so returns to earth so interesting how they've kind of just weave these deeply esoteric things into what you would wonder and say huh how do i time my death <laughs> all right you know so smoke of course represents that which obscures so it represents ignorance 
if we're still in ignorance, if we're still not sure what true, what the truth is, what reality is, that's what the smoke represents. It obscures the fire. Night time means we're still asleep in delusion, you know, still snoring, still in the dream. And of course, the dark half of the lunar month represents the waning of the moon, which is where the ego goes into greater and greater, is unable to reflect and accept that divine light and goes into greater and greater obscurity, greater and greater darkness, where the energy as then goes on, then six months of the southern course of the sun. This is when the energy is flowing down the spine, where the kundalini, which is trapped essentially at the base of our spine, below the muladhar, not at the muladhar, below the muladhar, it returns back, it coils. That's what the kundalini is, isn't it? That serpent energy which is coiled three and a half times. It coils even deeper. And then kind of our own subconsciousness were drawn much more by small little tiny identifications of self, of what I need, what I want, that's what. And this is happening, you know, don't think this is happening over these six months of the year or anything. This is happening all the time. Every breath essentially is this process. During the day, as we talked about, the same process happens day and night in a certain sense is a representation. At night, where do we go? We go back into the subconscious. At day, we're out towards the conscious, hoping to get, hoping to make something of this day, hoping that it means something. And at night, go back into our little shell of self-identity, back into the little mixture of all the past identifications that we've held, hoping once again to try again in the day. And so following this path at death, one attains only the lunar light, which means only the ego is still directing the show. The lunar light is just that limited light of the moon and so returns to earth. These two paths of exit from the body are eternal alternatives. The way of light leads to freedom, the way of darkness to rebirth. No true yogi understanding these two alternate paths is ever deluded. Therefore, O Arjuna, keep yourself firmly at all times in a state of yoga. Now he comes to that point, right? At all times just stay in the state of yoga because we don't know when the time of death will come. All of us, when we think of death, you know, it's just like, I'm on my deathbed, I'm an old man, I've lived my whole life, and you know, I don't have any teeth left, and all right, now is the time for death. I know it's going to come in the next few, whatever, days or months. That's not true for all of us, and in fact, it's often not true for every one of us. At some point or the other, death will come just like that. And so therefore, what does Krishna say to Arjuna? Therefore, O Arjuna, Keep yourself firmly at all times in a state of yoga, in a state of single-hearted devotion. In every moment, try if you can to place me before everything else. If we can't be single-hearted and we have a lot of desires, that's also fine, but let's at least bring Krishna up a little above those desires so that he's there, he's present, kind of even guiding all those desires for us. No true yogi understanding these two alternate paths is ever deluded. Have you ever heard of the practice called, I believe, like Kalpa Kriya or something, which is at the time of death on the funeral pyre, um, the dead body, they take a big stick or something and they bash the skull open of the body. And that represents 
this hope, My God. this, um, what's the word? This kind of affirmation that this soul is free because they're trying to essentially allow it to escape through the Sahasrara, which is what eternal freedom will feel like. So we've got two options. You can either escape through the Sahasrara or you can escape through the spiritual eye. In that case, you go into a very, very high state of experience at the time of death. Or for most people, as Krishna says, he attains only the lunar light, which means we will escape through the medulla, which is the seat of our ego. And that's what will happen. These are the two options for us. Either we escape from here or we from here escape from here. And so isn't it just amazing how he's just given these really weird but such precise kind of instructions in this whole process of like, oh, you can't do it through Samadhi, then here, this is this little other opportunity for you to do it. And the last stanza of this chapter. He who knows the hidden secret of these two paths goes beyond any merits gained from the study of scripture or from, from formal practice of the yagyas or from austerities or from any gifts of charity. That yogi attains the supreme origin. So he's saying once you learn, when he's saying he who knows the hidden secrets of these two paths, he's not saying he who knows, oh, I know the hidden secret of these paths. He who has experienced for himself through his meditation, through his daily practice. Oh, this is what it means. This is the light. This is the fire. This is what it means to be awakened. And of course, we know one secret. This is what it means to be in ignorance because this is what it looks like right now. <laughs> you know, this is what it means to be asleep. That path we know very well. But once we learn the other path as well, Krishna says, one goes beyond all merits, which essentially means you go beyond all karma. No more good, no more bad. Nothing, no karma sticks to you anymore. No fruits, merits here mean the fruits of your past actions. Nothing. And he's saying nothing that you gained from the study of scriptures, from the formal practice of yagna. So he's essentially saying all your ritualistic, whatever they will give you, this is the way to go, way, to go beyond them. Don't seek just good karma. Seek in fact that supreme origin. So with that and with hopefully a few very interesting pointers, like real practices that Krishna has given us that we can, you know, at least try or attempt. Uh, it's really helpful to see it's not just all philosophical, you know, hoo-ha, but that he's really giving us very clear steps at certain times to say, just get into this, practice this, do this. And uh, don't wait for that final samadhi, that <gasps> magical moment, which is all what we somehow delude ourselves a little bit or get a little too even desirous of that state in our meditations. There are moments while reading the Gita that um, as wonderful as it is and as inspired as it gets, sometimes I just can't understand the depth of it. Mm. And today was one of those <laughs> moments. I just couldn't really put it together. I didn't know how to apply this into my daily life. I, I just couldn't uh, reason in the concepts. 
And one of the things that is very, very helpful to me, like, okay, from these eight, nine, ten verses, let me just pick up whatever is the simple and the simplest, and how can I practice this in my daily life? And today what I got was the importance of your wholeheartedly focused attention in Krishna. So how can I bring that daily? Well, first, by, if possible, performing every activity with my full concentration. Yeah. We have uh, spoken about this so many times, yet it's so hard to just be right there in what you are doing wholeheartedly. So that's first step. Then once you have perfected that single pointedly direction, try to add Krishna into the process. So we are bringing that wholeheartedly attention in whatever we do, developing that concentration that is required at the end of your life to think of Krishna. But if you are not bringing Krishna or Yogananda or your guru or Lahiri Mahashaya or Babaji while you are cooking, while you are cutting the grass, while you are in front of your computer, while you are playing with your kids, it's going to be very difficult for us when that moment comes to be wholeheartedly thinking about the king of the infinite. So um, that's what I'm going to take for me this week. I'm not just going to practice every activity wholeheartedly, but I'm going to make sure that I'm going to bring Krishna performing that activity with me, or my guru, or, or any Krishna, yes, Krishna. Krishna has to be there and, and perfect the ability to feel him to perceive his consciousness guiding me in absolutely everything that emanates out of me in whatever I think. And, and I think if we achieve that, even half day, you know, even you know, in, in two hours, I would say that's a great success. Swami Kriyananda says in the Gita that spiritual progress doesn't come with the passing of the years, but with every sincere effort we make every moment. So this is an opportunity that Krishna gives to each one of us, and every moment counts, every moment is taking us closer to Krishna and bringing us within Krishna consciousness. So let's all 
give it a try, starting from right now.